1: We're back with an all-new episode
2: of Keep It. I'm Ira Madison III. I'm Louis Fertel. I'm looking at my camera. I'm just not a fan of my hair this episode. And in a similar point, it is fortuitous that today I would be having ring light problems just as we eliminate Carrie Lake from the national conversation.
1: All ring lights are down um, in honor <laughs> of Carrie um, losing. And
2: half-masked, yes. Right. Yeah. And half-light. Oh, that's cute. Oh, maybe I'll do that. Let's see if that works out. Oh, see, it's solemn now. I just turned it down for everybody who can't hear what I've done with my ring light. (laughs) Um, Speaking of
1: passings, like Carrie Lakes, um, (laughs) I'd be remiss if I didn't bring up John Aniston dying literally yesterday. Um, Jennifer Aniston's father, and also for me, Victor Kiriakis on Days of Our Lives Everyone who has watched Days of Our Lives at some point in their life, whether it's in college, with their parents, um, or if they still watch it now on Peacock, they know who Victor Kiriakis is. Uh, I mean, like and- it's
2: possible you've seen 12,000 hours of this man.
1: Yes. <laughs> uh, he's been a staple since, I mean, obviously since um, before I was born, but definitely since I've been watching. And he was just, I don't know, it always reminds me, one, that... um Jennifer Aniston is Greek. Yes. Uh, that. yes. Uh that you know, when, when you look at older photos of her too, it's like, oh, okay. This is like where Nia Vardalis could have gone. <laughs> they're, they're sliding doors. They're yes, sliding right. doors.
2: <laughs> you have to look at the pre-leprechaun pictures to know the full story with Jennifer Aniston, if you know what I'm saying. I yeah. say that affectionately. Uh, um, no,
1: I I I love um I love that bitch. Honestly. One of my favorite things, um, and this is dark, not favorite things that come out of like the Angelina and Brad Pitt rift because it's not, you know, it's not a good thing. Not um, a happy story. It's not a happy story. But being on my fuck Brad Pitt tip, now I'm just pro Angelina and Jennifer. And honestly... Yeah. Them be them like presenting at the Oscars together or being in a buddy comedy together would change culture.
2: Also, they kind of are an ideal pairing just anyway. Because Jennifer's yeah. a little bit like the buy the book one who's like, you know, kind of self-deprecating, and Angelina's more the, you know, Rihanna eye roll girl and glamour the, They're pop.
1: literally Betty and Veronica.
2: Yeah. Wow. Like how hasn't this Brad happened? Pitt is
1: Brad Pitt is Archie. Like, who gives a
2: fuck about Archie? Wow. Has this parallel been drawn before? I feel crazy that we're only figuring it out now.
1: Uh, but speaking of Jennifer Addison, I also want to address her Allure magazine interview last Where, week. If you,
2: if you ask me, she ate.
1: <laughs> she did. She First of all... She looked great in these photos. You know, like, the
2: woman has never the woman has never looked less than a ten, but yes.
1: Yeah. But she was wearing like the Chanel bra and stuff. Like it was really like the Julia Fox of Jennifer Aniston. Mm. Yes. And um in the interview, she basically pulled a Gia gun and said that there was <laughs> um there's zero beauty at the Oscars parties these days. What happened to all the glamour? Now she basically says, um, I'm a little choked up. I feel like it's dying. There are no more movie stars. There's no more glamour. Even the Oscar parties used to be so fun. Honestly, even though she sounds like, um, she's saying the last line of Gatsby.
2: Born ceaselessly into the 1993 (laughs) Oscars.
1: Daisy just struck by a car. Uh, (laughs) she's like, well, the Oscar parties are gone. Um... She's not
2: wrong. The interesting thing about those comments is you can tell it's set up by the interviewer who asks Mm. her beforehand or says no one will ever be as big a star as you were and are because, Mm. you know, there's, you know, uh, pop culture is so uh, fragmented now that someone Mm. can't be as centralized as Jennifer Aniston once was. And she was basically responding to that. But at the same time, it is funny to hear her say the Oscars parties used to be so fun because to my eyes, the same people are still going to them. Like, it's still Demi Moore. It's still Jack Nicholson. It's still Daniel Day-Lewis or whomever. You know, Madonna, whatever.
1: Does she mean that that we have to do cocaine in private now?
2: Oh, is that it? Yeah, is it a discretion
1: thing? You know, I think maybe there's more cameras and so the parties aren't as wild as they used to be.
2: Is she upset that, you know, she has to talk to David Furnish every time she sees Elton John? Is it more like, (laughs) I would rather just be with Elton, you know?
1: And honestly, it's funny that, you know, when people were responding, "Okay, 90s sitcom star with her talking about Oscar parties. But Jennifer Aniston at her height is just being on TV before she was doing movies again, too. Um, It's more famous than like anyone who is like an A-list movie star now.
2: Totally. No, I, I. you know it sort of shifted something in my mind was when Juliana Margulies told us about filming that movie with Glenn Close, Paradise Road. And she goes, wherever I went, people knew me and not Glenn Close because all over the world people watch ER, whereas not yeah. everyone all over the world is watching Dangerous Liaisons or whatever.
1: Juliana Margulies could beat Glenn Close for an Oscar, is what I'm saying.
2: Okay, well, that's a really upsetting thing to say. <laughs> not that I'm not a fan of Alicia Flora, but... <laughs> Or Carol Hathaway. Um, Or whoever she played on Snakes on a Plane.
1: Before we start our show, speaking of the Oscars, I do want to shout out that I would like the Oscars to introduce a horror category.
2: You think so? You think it's time? A horror
1: and thriller category. I think it's time. I'm always a fan of giving out more Oscars. And I think that we're at a point now where one. Horror movies are so dynamic and interesting and have a lot to say about the world. And two, we're also getting like a lot of lazy, cheaply made horror films. And I think that if there's an Oscar category for it, the creep is going to
2: rise to the top. Oh, like, I do like that. You do you, yes. you like this as punishment for people who say every horror movie is a 100.
1: Yeah. For people who say every horror movie is a 100, like they're wrong. But people who also in the industry who like won't, you know regard a horror film as fucking excellent a wrong too i'm saying this because i just saw mia goth in pearl and she is fucking amazing in that film
2: no she's one of these amazing people as opposed to i enjoy watching her or you know she's good or she's serviceable no there's something specific and i don't want to say all ta- her talent is multifaceted but there's just something bracing about what she brings to the screen
1: and she's such a film nerd. There was a talk back with her and David Carger. Uh, and he was like, you know, I'm from Dave Turner Carver, Classic Movies. Way. I have to ask, you know, like, while making this, were you inspired to by you know, like, movies of the period? She was like, oh, uh, like the Wizard of Oz and things. No, I don't like those kinds of movies. Oh, wow. In your face,
2: <laughs> Dave Carger. And me. Because Dave Carger's like the other Lewis for in the world. So,
1: yeah. <laughs> uh, you're just waiting for him to die.
2: <laughs> he's got a long way to go, he looks amazing And he's living in <laughs> Springs, so he's gonna survive a while
1: She said, no, I was inspired By films like, Dancer in the Dark uh, And okay. um, Steve McQueen's um, Shame, which is actually where she Got the idea and suggested To Ty to do that Like, um, long monologue That she has in the film That's like 12 minutes, she was like It was great in McQueen's film So I want to do it, like, she's like a film Nerd
2: just not old, old, old. Movies. Not old, got old, it. old, yeah. But but let me say this about her. And normally, you know, I would not have this instinct. If they do a Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf reboot, she would be a pretty ideal honey. She she's would. She's got that spooky thing. And she's got that, like, th- there's kind of a stage acting thing just about her in general. But, like, that what is going on in her head and we're sort of on her side. And also, she's got bats in her belfry. Just, like, she has the entire honey brain system going on i would love to see that and of course helena bottom carter uh, would play martha
1: oh she would okay i, I, I was wondering yeah, who I, you were gonna cast for that
2: yeah actually the men will just be eliminated it'll just be the two of them so i think i think kate
1: do a good wait blanchett musical. yeah kate blanchett
2: oh yeah i, I mean it'd be a obviously. bit sexier yes, yeah but um and also, she would be 20 years older than Elizabeth Taylor was, who I believe was 33 when she filmed that movie.
1: Yeah, there's there's this recent Twitter thread where someone was going over um, just, like, actresses from, like, the 50s and 40s, like, when they were in films. And they're, like, b- minds blown that, like, some of these actresses were, like, 19 in these films. Oh, sure. But, but mm-hmm. dressed to look like they were 38.
2: Oh, absolutely. No, I mean even just um Betty Davis being 42 and all about Eve is like, think about a 42-year-old actress now. I mean, it you she would never be I, as far as I know, would not be treated as washed up that way, you know. Mm.
1: But that's because we don't have indoor smoking anymore.
2: Oh, god, which we lament every week on this
1: show. <laughs> uh all right. Uh in this episode, speaking of act, speaking of um speaking of people who were washed up but no longer are. Lindsay Lohan is back.
2: She is, yes. I didn't realize we'd be getting basically a direct Overboard remake from her.
1: Yeah, so she's back with a Christmas film. And also, Wakanda Forever is out. Uh, The Black Panther rises again. Or rather, the
2: Black Pantheress Yes. Uh, I'm obsessed with the spoilers word Spoilers ahead. <laughs> Panthras is a word. It's just so funny. Feminization of certain words is just LOL every time. I can't explain it.
1: Uh, yes, there'll be spoilers on the Wakanda Forever conversation. So you can skip that part if you haven't seen it. But I feel like everyone knows it's a Panthras because there are only women in this film.
2: Yeah. Who the fuck else would it be?
1: Yeah. <laughs> um. Also, we've got Grammy nominations. Plus... Natasha Logero is here this week with
2: us. She is so life-giving. Well, I mean, she's so smart, so funny, and then also brings Vava Voom. Who is doing that anymore? Not Jessica Rabbit. Right. No. <laughs> As you certainly know, certainly not mad Betty
1: Boop, who I'm wearing. Yeah. You know, I wore Betty right. Boop in honor of Natasha, you know, like two two Vava Vooms. Yes. Um, actually, the only person who brings Vava Voom now is Nicki Minaj. That on Va Va Voom specifically
2: yeah right that's correct That's uh, Va Ben yes as you know
1: <laughs> alright we will be right back with more keep it Cricket Coffee is all about making your life a little less chaotic, so we just launched three limited-edition holiday boxes to make gift-giving easy. Each box is filled with full-size bags of delicious medium and dark roast coffee, plus a fun activity that isn't scrolling through Twitter. It's Justin Timberlake's dick. That's what's in each of these boxes. You can pick from three different boxes for three types of people, the Extremely Online box with witty magnetic poetry for your fridge, the Craft Lovers box with a Learn to Crochet kit inside and the Home Baker box with the Insta-famous Apple Cider Donut kit from Farmsteady that's so popular it's almost always out of stock. Plus, this holiday season, every order from Crooked Coffee will support Vote Save America's Every Last Vote Fund to make sure every voice can be heard in the face of unprecedented voter suppression. There's a limited quantity, so head to crooked.com coffee to shop before we sell out. Falling for Christmas and Wakanda Forever, the two contenders for movie of the year. Both premiered this weekend Which is the
2: category at the Oscars Movie of the year
1: uh, How do we feel about these equally important films And the returns of our royals Angela Bassett and Lindsay Lohan Let's get into Miss Lindsay first Sure Because uh, it's sort of impossible to spoil Falling for Christmas
2: Yeah, no, this is it's not based on Like a Dashiell Hammett story There's a, The twists and turns don't take you to an amazing conclusion You'll never forget there's
1: one twist uh, correct. that she gets amnesia when she has a skiing accident and then meets a lovely innkeeper played by Cordova Street. Uh, and obviously they fall in love and then obviously she'll get her memory back at some point and then have to choose between her old life and the new man.
2: Right. Um. I would say this. I do remember, I would say, great performances from Lindsay Lohan. Mean Girls, I would say she was very winning in The Parent Trap and Freaky Friday. I would still say there is a serious hiccup of self-consciousness every time she delivers a line now. And Mm -hmm. I don't know that I would consider any moment of hers in this movie great, though you can see she's very game for the silliness of the movie, and I think that's Mm. fun to watch, but for the most part, I was like, you don't have it anymore. That was my feeling. I feel like she's giving
1: it more in the social media clips yeah like the thing that she does at kimmel you know or like these not kimmel the, the thing that she did at fallon and like the other like little things that are online I just feel like yeah the movie there's a lot of reticence on her part and it feels like she's worried she's gonna fuck up
2: right yeah if, yeah it feels cautious and it feels it just doesn't have any flair to it like and, and not that it's supposed to be a hilarious movie but Mm-mm. like there's a lot of, like, physical comedy. It's a very goofy movie. And some of that, I I think she hits, but it's never laugh out loud hilarious either. I should have known, by the way, that there would be an amnesia storyline because her father in the movie is Jack Wagner. Jack Wagner. Uh, a soap legend, uh, theme of the episode. And also, I hope this gets people to look up the song All I Need Again because that's one of the great
1: one-hit wonders ever. 84, his era of... Um pop's attempt at pop stardom
2: yeah you know it's the time when people like rick springfield are leaking into the hot 100 you know we're just giving everybody a shot david naughton has you know making it we we, we were like that guy is so much fun in a dr pepper commercial he should be on the radio
1: that's because he was um frisco on general hospital at first but i know him largely from melrose place um yeah but um Yeah, the the amnesia story is basically Overboard, but it's not, I mean, it's giving Overboard remake with Anna Ferris. You know, it's not not giving good Overboard.
2: Yes, but also it is eliminating the thing from the original Overboard that makes it borderline unwatchable, which is, oh, you're basically kidnapping and taking advantage of this woman. Whereas in this version, they're both agreeing to say they don't know who she is. And they're like kind of, working together to figure it out, as opposed to mm-hmm. Goldie Hawn is not my family's new slave.
1: I feel like more than just her performance, too, I feel like the entire movie is cautious. I feel like it was yeah. very much a, let's get Lindsay back in a film, let's just put it out there, um, thrown together by Netflix, really, because the script's not great. Um, there's no flair in the directing or, like, anything, and honestly, no shade, but the cast is giving, did we shoot this in Vancouver? <laughs> just like all of the other people surrounding her character are just sort of, they're not bringing anything to the table. Yeah, right. Yeah. It's, it's not very like easy. TV performances. And it, yes. it, does, it mm-hmm. doesn't feel elevated at all as a film. And there, there are much better um, Netflix um, rom-coms. I mean, Do
2: Revenge was better. To All the Boys I Loved Before. Not that I was obsessed you with know. that movie, but that had a, more of like a, a, a groundedness to it. it had I will a also say about this movie, yes, I will say about this movie, it is also replete with in-jokes about Lindsay Lohan that the entire world would understand, so they're not even in-jokes at all. Like, there's a scene where she is singing Jingle Bell Rock, and she's like, I love this song, and it's like, oh, yes, we remember the film Mean Girls. It is, <laughs> can I say something? It is actually depressing when people bring up Mean Girls now. We have so beaten the shit out of that horse and as far as I can tell it is the one movie from 2000 to 2005 that people remember maybe outside of Eternal Sunshine like nothing else is going on at that time anymore unless you know I don't speak to the Lord of the Rings people but besides that (laughs) nothing is going on and so to even hear that it was just like there are dozens
1: of us who constantly talk about Swimfan
2: okay (laughs) <laughs> Sometimes I see that guy at parties and I'm always like, wow, I'm here with the swim fan guy, um, Jesse Bradford, right?
1: Yes, Jesse Bradford, ex of Azalea Banks. Do you remember when they
2: dated? Yes, right. Wow, what an awesome couple. Um, yeah. But uh, there's a- another scene in the movie where she's wearing a jumpsuit that reminds you of Herbie. And it's like, all right, let's keep congratulating these brain-dead millennials on remembering the three movies they've ever seen.
1: Honestly... Let's make another Herbie film, okay? I feel like yeah, that's, where, that? I wanna see, that's that? where I want to see. That's where I want to see Lindsay, okay? Yeah, fully loaded. I think we, I think we could load him up some more. <laughs> Herbie, even more loads.
2: <laughs> I am. Just, I want to come second, yeah. Remember that uh, song? I want to come first. The nerve yeah. of that song, really vile. Whoever threw that down her throat.
1: Yeah, I um. The other cautiousness in the script is mainly in her character, too, because she's supposed to be this selfish, rich bitch, but they also make her so nice, sort of, in the beginning. She sort of just doesn't know how to do things for herself, but she's not giving, like, I don't know, like, Fallon in the Dynasty reboot, who I thought Liz Gillies played, like, a really good bitch and, like, updated the character of Fallon in the dynasty world as opposed to what the original series was. Like we've seen, like she wasn't even giving like Hillary banks on fresh prints, you know, like there's no, like there's no panache to her rich bitch character. So then when she gets amnesia, she's just sort of boring too.
2: Right. They it, It's like, she's hoping not to be unlikable even for a second. So even during the part of the movie where she's being, tended to, like, she's in the Material Girl video, she Mm -hmm. still is, like, kind of bedazzled by the whole thing and, like, a little bit shy about it always occurring to her. Whereas that actually, narrative-wise, it would make more sense if she were a completely different way before the accident. It's actually a Mm -hmm. sort of confused movie in that way.
1: And there's no real tension, obviously. You know, we know she's going to get together with Korn, but there's no real tension when she's getting the memory back because she's a perfectly likable person. When she gets yeah, her memory right. back too. Like there should be the tension of, oh, she's back to being a bitch again. Does right. he even want her?
2: Right. That was the good part of the bad movie regarding Henry with uh Harrison Ford. He can't remember his past or whatever. Then it turns out he was cheating in his real life or something. See, that's good. That's good. Um you know what? This weird thrillers r- of nineteen ninety, I see you.
1: Seeking people with amnesia, uh, you know what this movie actually sent me to start watching on Hulu? Samantha Who, one which of the is still fucking funny. One of the undersung
2: films. Yes. And uh, Christina Applegate just got a star on the Walk of Fame. It was good to see her again.
1: She did.
2: And she has MS now. And that fucking sucks. She just is like a cool, like she's one of those people. Where it's like if she had a new show out, you'd be like, oh, of course I'm going to watch that. She's a total pro. You know, she was yeah. great on that um, Up All Night and uh, Jesse. Uh, mm-hmm. yep. Anytime we give her something to do, she'd be great at it.
1: And I um, I will always fondly remember seeing her uh, a Sweet Charity on Broadway. Uh, truly one of my first Broadway shows I ever saw. Um, she was just a light. Um, yep. And Samantha, who is still very funny. The two seasons are on Hulu. Gene Smart is fucking hilarious in it. Um, Jennifer Esposito is hilarious in it. I wish she still
2: acted. Jennifer Esposito, we talked about her on the podcast once, I thought, and we were, like, racking our brains for the last time we saw her. I hate when I have that feeling.
1: Yeah, Melissa McCarthy's in it, too. She's great. And honestly, like, Barry Watson is good. And i it's always nice to see someone escape the seventh heaven ghetto.
2: Yeah, a lot of people, well, yeah, a lot of dubious stories coming out of that ghetto. Yeah. A, a yeah. word I wouldn't say to describe that, but very well. <laughs> um, are we going to talk about Wakanda forever now?
1: Yes, okay. Wakanda
2: forever now let me just say before we begin i loved the first black panther and i of course loved the original book wakanda be kidding me by chelsea handler so i was really primed <laughs> to be a fan of this i haven't thought about that book title yeah. in a minute it really the, was super brave. like we should have brought that up with natasha the way people went for her throat yeah i mean it really is something else but this movie uh it was nice to see the ladies get a lot of um, emotional stuff to do. But at the same time, I sort of thought this movie was a drag like outside of the first 40 minutes where it is not just fun, but fucking silly as in Denai Gurira and Letitia Wright jumping into somebody's dorm room to shame this girl for how she's living and, and, and uh, (laughs) use her for their big project or whatever. I thought it was mostly like funereal and uh, here comes a spoiler alert. Guys, I did not come to this movie to watch fucking Angela Bassett die. Who signed me up for that? Absolutely not. She should be in all the movies.
1: Yeah, it's, I enjoyed the film more than I expected to. I was really worried about how they were going to deal with Chadwick Boseman. There's something missing with him not in it, you know, like there's something missing just about his like, his playfulness, um, like just a smile that he would have in a scene, the way he would bounce off everyone else—it was obviously, you know, like a sad film. The proceedings were just sort of very dire and dread. Yeah. and then a sort, of, and then of course, you know, like name. Thank God for Namor, who is the hottest thing I have seen in film in quite some time, uh, and thank you, Ruth Carter. Thank you, Ruth Carter, for keeping him <laughs> just in his briefs as he is in the comics. Um, that was great. It was it was fun seeing a new character, a new world, being uncovered. But I also wanted to see more of that world. And I will say for the lar- the beginning of the film, the really beginning of the film sort of, did that thing where it made me forget I was watching a Marvel movie, but then it becomes mm-hmm. more Marvelified as it goes on, and then by the end when they're fighting on the boat, it's just sort of okay,
2: right? No, it definitely gets back to Power Rangers fighting. Um, by the end, and I just want to say, speaking of not just Power Rangers, but VR Troopers, the off-brand oh. competitor to Power yes. Rangers. Yeah, I know. I know you remember <sighs> uh, uh, Ryan Steele, Caitlin Starr, J.B. Reese. They have these cutaways to like. The characters in costume as in you see like letitia writes just her eyes while she's in this fight mode and she'll like say thing and it looks like power rangers when you're like looking in the red rangers eyes and he's shouting something as the big battle is going on that looked so fucking cheap yeah
1: i hated it and it's like you know obviously we got riri williams as uh iron heart um i liked her And she was very fun. And I liked her. I liked her screen presence. Would love to. I'm going to watch the Ironheart series for her to see what else she brings to the table. I liked her original design of the Ironheart costume before she got to Wakanda. It looked cheaper once she got to Wakanda. It looked too sleek. And I get it that she's sort of like, you know, like a new Iron Man. But then having three people in those fucking screens, like doing the thing that like Robert Downey Jr. always used to do, where he's just. Talking from a screen, I was like, "We we got to do something better than this."
2: Yeah, I agree. I I also like the costume before then better. That said, a lot of the costumes in this movie I do fucking love. I mean, no, to nobody's surprise, Ruth Carter of course nails it. But like Denai Guerrero at the beginning of the movie when she's wearing the the sort of blazered version of her. Oh, outfit. that was
1: so. Ta- that was such a hot look.
2: Yeah. No, it was it was taking you know Black Panther to the boardroom. Which, you know, sometimes (laughs) he has to be. And uh, uh, that was cool to see. Uh, It reminded me of my other favorite blazered look, um, Whoopi Goldberg and Soap Dish. Again, the hottest Mm. she's ever
1: looked. Mm. Shout out to Soap Dish. I was realizing, too, that that is a film that only specific gays, I think, up to our age have seen. It is not a part of
2: gay education. No. It's sort of like we, we pretend like Death becomes her, sort of covers it. But there were other things in that vein going on at that time, and this one gets lost in the shuffle. No, you can't say the name Kathy Moriarty to a regular faggot; he'll explode.
1: Yeah. Um. Anyway, Wakanda Forever was uh enjoyable. I'm glad I went to see it in theaters. Uh, because I've sort of fallen off from Marvel films. Um, at the moment, it is definitely know, like, too I, long.
2: But there were enjoyable yeah, parts. Yes,
1: I tried to feel um. I tried to watch Thor, Love and Thunder the other week. Couldn't finish it. Um, Which,
2: okay, that movie calls to mind. Something I cannot stand about superhero movies is they all have the same sense of humor. It's always like, so we have the big battle scene and we're all like big aggro alpha males and females. And then one of them says like, self-deprecating joke and then the more militant one like elbows them in the ribs like I hate that buddy buddy kind of comedy I hate that I wish there was like more sophisticated interesting ways to break up the action of a movie than with this kind of like characters in the office style asides
1: yeah you know more more Rizzoli and Isles
2: you know (laughs) that just came up yesterday Uh, uh, my friend Brooke Diablo Cody had the Mm -hmm. best joke about Rizzoli and Isles which is she wanted to work on the ad. She wanted to work on the commercials for the movie and say, you'll be resolving in the aisles at this week's crime caper. Oh, come on. <laughs> come on. Uh, it does make me miss
1: the buddy films of like uh, Shane Black.
2: Oh, right. Wow. You brought up Barry Watson and now Shane Black. Yeah, you've, you're combing the annals. Do you remember Kiss Kiss Bag Bag? Oh, great. That's like the best thing Robert Downey Jr. ever did. Yes, and Val
1: Kilmer. Uh, and it's, you know, he's... um. Val Gilmore or Robert Downey is gay in it, but gay like hard boiled detective story. It's it's so fucking good, and it was Shane Black's directorial debut. Um, I don't know what she's up to now. I hope making a new film. Uh, well, the 2018 Predator was abysmal, so maybe not. But um, <laughs> that you box. know what? Yeah, the the nice guys with Russell Crowe and Ryan Gosling was
2: fucking hilarious. And you would not associate Russell Crowe with hilarity. Uh, you know, I don't watch The Insider for a yuck, so. I Throwing a
1: phone can be funny.
2: Oh, that's true. Yeah, yeah. Depending on who catches it or doesn't catch it. Also,
1: speaking of her again, his, the, the Azalea's beef with Russell Crowe was funny.
2: Oh my God, I forgot all about that. Jesus, I need like a fucking glossary for her history or a index, a bibliography. I mean, listen, I
1: love him, but fuck Kevin Bacon, okay? Like, we need six degrees of beef with Azealia Banks.
2: <laughs> I think we
1: have to market that ourselves. How connected is a celebrity based on the beef they've had with Azealia oh
2: Banks? Oh, my God. that I think that could work. You, I mean, you could throw it, like, Greer Garson, connect her <laughs> to a beef with Azealia Banks. I bet you could do it in three.
1: Yeah. Anyway, this this is we're sort of now gearing up towards the other big events of the year, which was sort of like the Oscar movies. So I haven't seen any of them yet, but I will be. I'm looking forward to a bunch of them, honestly. But a bunch of them, I'm also feeling like, from early reports, from people I'm like, I'll be watching this at home.
2: Yeah, I we'll see. I mean, I will be seeing them all in theaters, but I will be doing some reluctantly, of course. And of course, I'll be rewatching Tar again soon. It's on
1: VOD now. Is it really? Yeah, it's on VOD now. As soon as I saw that, I was like, "I begin Lydia Tarr are about to get cozy tonight."
2: I was say, would Lydia Tarr like me to watch that on VOD though? Because as you know, I only do things as she says directly. Otherwise, my career will be adversely affected, as she promised.
1: <laughs> Lydia Tarr might not like it, but Kate Blanchett
2: would enjoy it. That's probably true. Yes.
1: Yeah. Watch the movie at home,
2: Louis. She says, <laughs> folding her legs for the 80th time.
1: Her giant, like, maroon pantaloons. When we are back, we're joined by the delightfully wonderful Natasha Legero. Keep It is brought to you by Barefoot Dreams. Lewis. Yes? When you see Footprints in the Sand...
2: Our guest today is a comedian, actress, and author who, this is what it says, doesn't hold back. You are just like Bill Maher to me. After years (laughs) of crushing audiences across the country with stand-up, as well as the historically hilarious show, Another Period, truly a fucking hilarious show. She is back with her new book. I did. I did that one time. Uh, (laughs) She is back with her new book, The World Deserves My Children Out Now. It is the indefatigable and fabulous Natasha Leggero.
3: Oh, thank you. That's funny because I thought it was pronounced indefatigable.
2: You know, it could be. I, I feels a little bit more like Cole Porter sing-songy when you just say indefatigable, you know.
3: Indefatigable. Wait.
2: Indefatigable. <laughs> that too. That's us. <laughs> you are in the right place.
3: Um. Okay, well, thank you for that.
2: Could I say it is not every comedian's like, ambition to write a book like they don't have it in them like for me personally I just like to say the joke and then I'm done with my work but you it's such a pleasure to read you on the page and did you ever did you always consider yourself like a natural author
3: no it was it was incredibly difficult and painful (laughs) and lonely and it's such a different experience than stand-up because stand-up is like you try to get right to the punchline and you're very economical and succinct and a book is like the opposite it's like how do I Stretch out, stretch this out, and look at it from, you know, every angle, and 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 make it deeper. And you know, it's 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 a totally different experience, one that I would not ever want to repeat.
2: Well, you barely but, survived it. Thank you. Yes.
3: <laughs> but I will say it was during the pandemic, so I got a little lucky because all of my comedic ideas uh, just sort of the book was almost like a depository for it because usually. I would be on stage and performing, so I, I was happy that I got to do all of this, um, you know, when we were all sort of had nothing to do.
1: So here's a question then about that, and one I've wondered, too, with comedians who write books, obviously, you know, when you're on stage, you know, you're you are pulling from a lot of material. Um, do you feel like the book stuff is, like, off limits, or are you like, who cares? I'm just going to use stories for the book when I do stand-up again.
3: Um, you know, the stories from the book are some, there's like a little, little bit here and there, but I really tried mm-hmm. to make it its own unique thing. I, I wasn't, you know, like essays on different aspects, you know, like mm-hmm. parenting at the end of the world and freezing your eggs. And, um, but I actually have a bigger problem now, which is my daughter, when I say something, she says to a friend and she hears me and she's four, she's like, mom, don't tell people what I say. And I'm just like, <laughs> oh, oh, uh, so that's that's a new thing that I'm trying to figure out, which I guess is going to result in me not doing a Netflix special and just sort of touring on material about her. Mm. And then I guess not leaving any trail or trace uh, and then she'll never know. And I, I guess I'll pivot when she's 12. I don't know. It's, it's really challenging. I don't want her to hate me.
1: Some no phones concerts, you know, do, do, do some of those. Uh, oh, so no, phone no, yeah. no, no phones. Yes. No phones. No phones. So there's no
2: clips at all. Um. <laughs> Madonna 2019 is your Bible. Yes.
3: <laughs> I mean, how much is is the right amount to talk about your Because, ch- like, so much of your life is your child. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as a comedian and as artists and, I'm, you know, you guys know, like, aren't you just processing what's happening in your life and talking about it. I mean, that's, that's how you, you know, create. So it is challenging when someone, even though they're four is like, don't ever talk about me. Um, you know? So I, yeah, I'm not exactly sure how to handle that yet.
2: Now that's interesting though, because as somebody who's been on uh, Twitter as long as both Ira and I have, like before you had kids, would you see people talking about their kids and maybe like quoting them and and like roll your eyes a little bit? Be like, like that person's milking their kid. I mean, like, I think if you're telling a story about a kid, that's one thing. But to be like, my kid said this one thing and it was so feminist or whatever it was. Um, yeah. Did you ever have a, like a sour reaction to that?
3: It's funny because Lewis, I can tell that you—that's how you feel. <laughs>
2: <What>? <laughs> <laughs> Am I wearing my feelings on my sleeve?
3: Framed the question, and you know, no, I, I don't really use her quotes to to tweet or anything like that. But, right, right. You know, sometimes she'll say things that are very cutting, or you know, like like when the pandemic was starting to almost be over, but she still had to wear a KN95 mask indoors at school. And then she said to me one morning, she's like, mommy, when the pandemic's finally over, can I wear any mask I want?
2: Hell yes. That's funny. (laughs) (laughs) So
3: so it's not even funny. It's just, I'll use it to describe a mood or like a a vibe or something, but tweeting it out. No. Um, Saying it on stage. Yes. So, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's it's, it's challenging, but also, you know, we have to give them autonomy. And I was hanging out with some woman and she brought her 10-year-old with and some people were coming up to the 10-year-old and they're like, I recognize you from Instagram. And I was like, oh, God, I don't want that for my child. I mean, to be honest, I'm trying to keep her in a Waldorf school shielded from technology until high school. (laughs) But they'll probably hate me for that. So I don't
1: know. I mean, there is the trade off with that, right? And then, like, because it's always so funny to me when I see friends of mine upload photos of their kids to Instagram, but they have like the emoji face covering it or something. I know. It's like, like, just take a photo by yourself at this point.
3: (laughs) I know. I know. And it's like sometimes the photo is so great, but I guess. I, I suppose I, I I prefer that to like showing their their teenage faces or their 10-year-old faces because that just mm. seems like you don't want them to start to get hooked on like seeing, especially the girls, like if people are liking it or mm.
2: mm-hmm. I
3: don't know. I mean, we're fucked. <laughs> AI is coming. I mean, what are we going to do?
2: Something that I think about with you that where I, I can't really come up with an answer is as long as I have watched your comedy, you have always been like fully formed. You are not somebody who had to evolve. A, a, a quote I use all the time is Cloris Leachman talking about Paul Lynn said he was born finished. Like you were always exactly Aww. the form you were in. And that makes me wonder, who were your actual influences? Like were there people that made you be like, oh, that's the thing I want to do? Because I, I can't really identify who that would be in my head because you've always just seemed like yourself.
3: That's such an interesting question and a huge compliment. And I think that, yeah, when I first got up on stage, because I always was into like dressing up and, you know, and I, I remember when I first started stand up, I saw this quote and it was like, if you dress like the audience, you become one of them. And I always like had that in my head, like, I need to always like be different or separate myself. And I mean, maybe that's, That's not for everybody, but for me, it like really kind of rang true. And when I think of all the people, like I've just always been attracted to glamour. But my first couple of years of stand up, I was afraid because I didn't want to bomb in a costume (laughs) because you're not good for a while, you know. So um, but who are some of my influences? I mean, I I always just loved like glamorous women, you know, Uh, Liza Minnelli and Judy Garland and Audrey Hepburn and Mae West. Like anyone who was like over the top glamorous, like I even remember being lit, like really little, maybe, I don't know if you guys have like early memories of glamor, but I just remember seeing like my nails painted red, like maybe I was seven and I had like mm. a gold, a, a fake gold watch on and like looking at my hands and my gold and just thinking like, I need more of this. How do I get more of this? I mean, <laughs> I'm sure <laughs> wow. like Trump had a similar <laughs> <laughs> had a similar experience, but I, I don't know. I just always, I always had that that energy of wanting that. I don't know. Do you think that I shouldn't admit that?
2: <laughs> no, it's telling. That's how it, it feels that deeply rooted to me. Like it, <laughs> you would have to have been that young when you were like, "This is exactly what I'm going to be." Um,
1: no, that even you say talking about glamor at a young age actually, um, is connected to the pivot I wanted to make to a chapter in your book because uh, I feel like one of my earliest things of glamour was watching Soaps with my mom. Like, Young the mm, Restless, Days yes, of Our Lives. Too. Santa Barbara, did you watch that
3: yes, one? Yes,
1: of course I did. Yes, and see, like, a- the glamour that's in them is specific where it's like, you know, Marlena or Hope will be dressed up to the nines in their living room during the day when someone comes over to just have a conversation with them. Um, and that was always glamour to me, like wearing heels or like a dress or like jeans in your home already. You're not lounging around. And you mentioned in your book, um, when you were waitressing, of um, a Days of Our Lives actress came in and you asked to get your headshot. <laughs> to so, like the casting director, do you remember which actor it was or which character they played?
3: Okay. Oh, God, that is such a good question.
1: Because I still watch the show. You do? I do. I do. Why it's like I watching... So- <laughs> it's a perfect lunch break. I think it's a what? comfort thing. It is yeah, a comfort uh-huh. thing. It's a perfect, like, lunch break.
3: I'm trying to figure out how I watched so much soap operas in seventh grade. Like, weren't we at school? Like, I'm just so confused by how I just... Because you have to watch it every day to know what's happening, right? Yeah.
1: I feel Truly. like during the summer and then also sometimes they'd air like summer yeah and then sometimes they'd air like when you'd get out of school a little early it would still be on tv like during the school year
3: okay so vic wait is victor Kyriakas? is that days of our lives
1: yes that is john aniston um jennifer aniston's dad and he died yesterday may he rest yes yeah
3: he died yesterday
1: he died yesterday yeah
3: Oh, my goodness. That's so sad. He was an amazing actor. Um, so I believe the girl, was the woman like a ex-wife of Victor? <laughs> I don't remember okay. exactly. I, I remember she had brown curly hair.
2: I'm going to say this narrows the field down to 36. Yes. Yeah. There's, 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 <laughs> there's Vivian.
1: There's Kate. There's Carly. These are the Ira, ex-wives. you're killing me with
3: this. <laughs> Still, it does something for you?
1: It does. It does. I feel like I started with my um, mom and grandmother watching and then my family, my extended family would watch like on holidays, like ev- all the women in the family watched it. And I come from a family of like largely women, um, except for my grandfather. Um, And so like watching them all the time, it was my way of having adult conversations with the women in my family I feel like because when they would be gossiping and talking about adult things they'd also be talking about the soaps that they were watching and so by watching I feel like I then got to slip into the adult conversations Mm. that were going on Mm. and then what happened is you watch it during the summer and then friends weirdly enough friends in college would watch the shows too so after that like I was just hooked
3: that's so interesting that you mentioned soap operas because I did kind of grow up on them but I never really made the association of the glamour. So that's mm-hmm. uh thank you for
2: that. Um speaking of gl- I want to pr- talk about another period for a second because I can think of no th- there's no other way to put this better project for you like it was a combination of the like over the top glamour thing mixed with the like hilarious buffoonery thing and rarely do those two things I think go together that like coherently um is it is it literally daunting to come up with new projects for yourself after that because it's such a perfect fit for you
3: I know I realized when we were shooting it Sundays we were in this beautiful mansion and everyone's in like princess costumes and then the crew would walk by and they're like plaid and kind of like ruin the vibe and like (laughs) I just remember thinking like we purposely did a show where we just like are literally like princesses all day long (laughs) So, yeah, it is It is challenging. I mean, what's better than that show is really just a podcast. As you guys know, it's, like, the easiest thing to do. Like, I have a podcast with my husband, the Endless Honeymoon Podcast. And, like, that to me is, like, the perfect thing as well because I can just be myself. But, yes, I love physical comedy. I love, you know, the glamour and the social commentary. And I I wish that it wasn't, you know, behind nine paywalls. But, you know... (laughs)
2: That maybe, is a confusing thing, Comedy Central. <laughs> uh, no, I, I, by the way, when I met you to write on that show, that's the only job where I've been asked, "What do you know about the Gilded Age?" And I hope, I hope <laughs> more employers in the future ask me that because I was like <laughs> racking my brain. I was like William Jennings Bryan, uh, 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 you know, uh, the uh, the St. Louis uh, uh, World's Fair, etc. I was like, tr- I was like trying to come up with stuff.
3: <laughs> I mean, the main thing you need to know about the Gilded Age is that it was like a time in history where everyone figured out well they didn't pay taxes yet. And so, you know, we've actually come full circle back to the wealth of the Gilded Age where like people were living in these crazy houses and having like, you know, tons of servants. I mean, there's not that many people living like that. Like in Montecito, I'm sure like Gwyneth and, you know, uh, there's a, there's plenty of women who are still, or p- people living in this kind of world. But I think that, it's going, and then of course all of the Silicon Valley people like it's all just gonna happen again. I guess the disparity, mm-hmm. but um, but yeah. So it was more like the economic point of the Gilded Age of that, like you know, people were literally not paying taxes, but they aren't now. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> so it's just, you know, we're back. We're back, Weirdly, baby.
1: When I try to think about what I know about the Gilded Age, and I haven't even watched the HBO show. I feel I think about the fact that, um, particularly I feel like our age group, um, the s- books that we read in school, like middle school and high school, were all Gilded Age books. And they pretty much have stayed the same way. Like it's Gatsby, um, Wharton, you know, like um, Ernest Hemingway. It seems like American education is stuck on the Gilded Age. That's just. You
3: must have gone to a good school because I didn't read that stuff till college.
2: <laughs> wow, really? <laughs> wow, they, they they stuck us with that stuff in suburban yeah. Chicago. Yeah, um, in Milwaukee well. So... a lot of Edith Wharton. A lot of Edith Wharton. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I I also associate you, of course, uh, historically with. The Chelsea Lately Roundtable, and you were the Yale of the Chelsea Lately Roundtable. If I I tuned in and you were there, I was like, oh, we're getting jokes. Okay, and it's going to be, like, on point, and she's going to have heard of this before. So uh, I want to thank you for that. Uh, But do you...
3: I know, but but I think of all of the things I said, like, I'm like, is someone going to make a compilation and (laughs) just put it out there? Like... You know, I worked with Jessica Simpson last week and I was like, I hope she hasn't, like, watched I remember she she was a topic for, like, two months. And, like, Lindsay Lohan, Amy Winehouse, like, all these people, like, I just feel like it was just a different time where you didn't quite think about, like... We were all less empathetic, I think. Mm -hmm.
2: I also feel like we were really coming off a time when, like, things like the Comedy Central roasts were really popular. So it was just Mm -hmm. all about, like go as hard as possible because somehow we accept that that means you're joking even harder, even if it's completely mean, but, um,
3: exactly, exactly. You know. And now, now I want to do a show where I just make fun of houses. That feels like <laughs> <same>.
2: <laughs> true. That's definitely true. But as you said before, um, you love doing your podcast. Do you miss anything about like panel shows being sort of central in comedy?
3: Right. There, there aren't a lot of them anymore. Yeah, uh, I mean, I guess I, I I missed like being able to go there, I guess, you know, because I do feel that now when you do a panel show, they're like, OK, but can you just make it nice or not mention drinking or can you we're friends with them? So, you know, it's just like there's just a million reasons why not to say anything. <laughs> so I guess, you know, it's a good time to. uh Uh, pivot, uh, retire. I don't know. Uh, Write a book, (laughs) write a book. Uh, it's it's definitely challenging. I mean, what do you think? I, do you miss round tables? I mean, I, I don't miss like digging on people, I suppose, but
2: I mean, I miss the kind of like rowdy nature of a show, like from the seventies, like the match game or something where it seemed like everybody was just hanging out and whatever drunk on absinthe or whatever they plied them with at the time. But, um, but I think podcasts generally do fill the niche, generally speaking.
3: Yeah. Yeah. And I, yeah, they've taken over. Right. I mean, it's like, Mm -hmm. I just heard now I've been listening to you guys' podcast. I want to listen to it every week. I'm like, uh, there's so many podcasts I want to listen to every week. It's like, how do, how do we do it? How do we, I I guess just like always having an earbud in and just sort of pretending like you're listening to your family is, uh, is one way to do it.
2: I mean, I assume the deal is like, and this has to be a female-led thing. Like, some people are just able to multitask. I personally cannot listen to, like, actual conversations or actual comedy and then do anything else. But, like, all the women in my life seem to be able to do that, so.
3: Well, that just means you're very in the moment, (laughs)
2: Louis. You know my artistry. Very urgent. Yes, right. I'm like Marina Abramovich, yeah. You have to be present for it. Um, and speaking of what you said, too, about, you know,
1: like, the work on um, panel shows, and then, you know, like, you're like, oh, I'm working with Jessica Simpson this week, like, I hope she hasn't heard anything, you know, have you ever had a moment from, like, that era of stand-up, or, you know, like, the Chelsea Lately show, or some other thing where you, like, joked about someone and then had to work with them after, and they specifically remembered you saying something, or have you been lucky to escape
3: that? No, I have escaped it, but like now that I'm mm. mentioning it, mentioning it on your show, I'm like some bored person is going to put together a compilation. <laughs> it's real I mean, it's hard because it's like, I, yeah, I, I guess I'm, I'm afraid to t- like everyone's like I want to make fun of TikTok, and people are like, no, not TikTok, and it's just everybody <laughs> loves things in this, like. TikTok's like this God now and and I, I I tried to go on on the flight yesterday because everyone keeps telling me it's fun you love it and I'm just like it's bad music it's like a bunch of Kardashian children it's like I, I don't really uh, bad makeup like I, I, I don't really it reminded me of like America's funniest home videos or something but like yeah. I got younger people it was it was just like I, I can't I can't go I can't do it. What do you guys think? Is there something that, am
2: I wrong? I keep hearing that if you go on it enough, algorithmically, it will give you something of intelligence Mm -hmm. that you care about. But I just don't want to put in that work. And also, like, I just would prefer, like, Twitter jokes in a weird way. I'm a weird, like, apologist for Twitter, which is, by the way, among the uncoolest things you can say, so. I like TikTok in that,
1: but my specific TikTok times are, like, right before bed. Or, like, I'm stoned on the couch when I don't want to be reading things on Twitter. But I feel like my algorithm has got me to – I do less of the, like, America's Funniest Home Videos kind of things. Like, I feel like the funniest people on TikTok are the people who use their stream of consciousness and just sort of say things. And then it's very brief. Mm-hmm. It's almost like you were watching them tweet it out, but they'd rather just say it. Like, I enjoy that. And then I get, like, a lot of random, like, dancing and cooking videos, so.
3: I wish you could, like, check boxes, and you wouldn't have to wait for an algorithm, like, to, mm, pick, like, to, to, for them to pick up. Like, these are my interests. <laughs> or, like, if there was, like, a tier, like, what's the highest tier? What's the snobbiest version of TikTok that you could possibly mm-hmm. feed me? Uh, you know, that that would be nice, but.
1: One thing I like is they actually have, they're actually, um, I see a lot more stand-ups now. Because oh, that's good. Because. They started, well, a lot, because a lot of like Comedy Central and other places have started uploading clips from people's stand up specials. And so that you, they're like, they come into my algorithm a lot. So I do just see a lot of people doing jokes.
3: Okay. Well, you know what? I mean, it's just like we have to be able to pivot. And it is like, I remember re- reading this Debbie Harry article, like when I was doing a music festival and they were asking her something and she was like, The biggest advice I can say is don't be afraid of technology. And I was like, wow, like a 70 year old woman is like saying like, you know, just like always try to like embrace it. And it was like such a weird thing because I I would imagine someone like her would be the opposite. And, you know, it's, it's inspiring when you see that people have that point of view because I feel like such a Luddite and it definitely holds me back. Um, but you know, if focusing on the positive, I think with technology would be good until the robots come, um, because then there's, what are we going to do?
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they win. Right. Um, uh, my last question for you is obviously your podcast with Moshe is so great. Uh, I, I, I'm sure Ira has too. I've been on a love it or leave it with him a number of times. I've mm-hmm. known him over the years. What projects have you yet to do with him that you would like to do?
3: Oh, I'm trying to cap it, honey. I'm, I'm good. <laughs> we have our podcast; it's twice a week. We take we have like a secrets hotline. So it's like there are so many things you want a husband to do for you. You know, like with the kid and with the house and with you know his share of what we're trying to like. You know, just like keeping the uh, keeping things like afloat and out of you know if we're still in survival mode. That that the creative stuff piled on top of it can be very challenging. So I actually try to use the podcast as a way to, um, you know, kind of uh, hijack him with some of the issues I have, like almost as couples therapy. So if I bring him something in the podcast and he doesn't know about it, then people can weigh in and oftentimes humiliate him um, into (laughs) not doing the thing anymore. So I've actually found it to be like a really useful uh, tool in our relationship, but in terms of doing more things, no, I think I'm good. Uh, no more kids. Uh, no more. I don't know. Maybe if he wrote a movie, I would like do a part, but not if he's directing it.
2: That's nice that you're just like I use the podcast to pillory my husband, and he in return becomes better. <laughs> That's nice. Productive. Well, because
3: you know, I don't know what he thinks is normal. Like, you know, he was using my toothbrush like every day for like a year and I like mentioned on the podcast and people were like across the board like no this is not something you do you know that's curtains
1: that is like body horror <laughs> when you see anyone lift up your own toothbrush you're like please stay oh, away from and that
3: how, how about when you put it in your mouth for in the morning and it's soaking wet
2: absolutely yes. not oh yeah. god it's Given cronenberg so, i can't i can't yeah, <laughs> yeah. Mm.
3: but he was so shamed and horrified in a way that he does not get because he like you know he's the person he always wins every argument he's he's so articulate and he just the, he went out and bought like 40 toothbrushes i'm not kidding just like the and just to have him there so that he could like always know where he could find one if he needed to. Like He has not done it since, and yeah, it was really effective.
2: <laughs> I say it was worth it. Good. Yeah. yeah,
3: <laughs> Definitely worth it.
2: Um, Natasha, thank you so much for being here and for just being exactly Natasha Leggero. You are hilarious consummately. And of course, her book, The World Deserves My Children, is out now.
3: Thank you guys so much. You were so funny. I love your podcast, and thank you for making time for... For little old me.
2: My God, please. Of course. We always are bandying, like, who should the third uh, permanent host be if we have one? You you should come on whenever you want. That's how I feel.
3: I'll come guest Uh, host whenever you need.
2: Yes, thank you. Yeah.
3: Okay, awesome, you guys. Thank you.
2: Bye. Thank you.
1: With chocolate
2: treats mixed into dark chocolate ice cream, the Tillamook Chocolate Collection is a chocolate game changer because the thing that pairs best with chocolate is more chocolate. Tillamook Chocolate Collection ice cream. Extraordinary dairy.
1: So Beyonce has officially broken Jay-Z's record as the most nominated artist
2: in Grammys history. But who gives a fuck? Where are the videos? Also, that's really strange that she wasn't number one before, given how many times she's won. But uh, anyway, let the record of the year show that she is now in the lead.
1: Yeah. um, The Grammys are back, and
2: we're always reminded how much... I don't really care about this show, I mean talk about an award show where my interest in it has just hyperbolically dropped over the years it has there's a lot of factors it's the amount of nominations it's the amount of categories I mean I'm looking at record of the year right now and it's what are we at a full dozen it's just it it's literally the records of the year. here are the records we remembered from this year um and so it just and and and, and yet also they continue to reward at the top these like Monoculture type superstars Where I'm sorry Taylor Swift just does not deserve Three album of the year wins It's fucking weird to me It's strange I'm not saying she's not extremely popular And talented And has a lot of fans But when you look back at this category And she comes up three times over the past ten years It makes you think there simply wasn't that much music out there And there was
1: I mean listen She is the music industry at this point
2: Oh, trust me. When I look at those charts and she's the top 10 on the billboard, whatever, I just want to throw my hands up. It's it's not that she's not bad. It's like if we decided, you know, the Mercury Prize should go to Sean Mendes. It's like, yep, he's he's good at what he does. Sounds great on the record. Uh, Truly a big star. And yet I find there is something lacking that awarding other people would remedy.
1: Well, in other news... If Taylor Swift is the music industry, then Deja Chappelle and Louis C.K. are the comedy industry. They're the backbone. Good
2: Lord. Did you watch his SNL monologue this past weekend? Absolutely not. <laughs> I actually did. First of all, it has to be among the longest monologues ever in, S- in the history of SNL. It's something like 14 minutes long. Um, oh, I thought it was the yeah, whole episode. But
1: would it be great if he just went up and he just started talking and then it was
2: an hour? <laughs> <laughs> and the other cast members just went home. You saw like <laughs> Heidi Gartner in the audience just sort of shuffle on out <laughs> midway through. Um, yeah, anyway, best comedy album this year is Dave Chappelle, Louis mm-hmm. C.K., Jim Gaffigan, Patton Oswalt, familiar names, and Randy Rainbow. Wow. To Randy Rainbow is just some guy you, you, we, we know on Twitter. He's like sitting over there, basically. And now he's I'm in the ranks of these people. So I guess that's a, a thumbs up to homosexuality. Yeah.
1: And, and about his buddy.
2: <laughs> oh no. He's, <laughs> like, he, he's one of those people where I think like his prime demo became like 50 something liberals and they like yes. a particular amount of on the nose content. And I think he's had to keep feeding that over the years. I sort of remember him being like 10 years ago. I mean, I guess he had some um tweets that were unearthed that were unsavory, but I remember him sort of being like more like traditionally just g- gay for gay content once upon mm-hmm. a time, yeah, she
1: sucks that I'm over the rainbow, okay <laughs> call me that's Dwarf what C. that song's about, yeah, <laughs> in Judy
2: when she's singing that that's what it's about yeah. uh, so what actually, what
1: was Chappelle's monologue about i saw the controversy from it some of the controversy but i also ignored the tweets because i also just don't care about that man anymore
2: right well he was going on about kanye for a while and he he actually had one joke i liked which was he said he grew up among jewish people and by the way almost every time he goes into like um a comedy set that ends up being controversial afterwards, he always begins with blank and blank are my friends. Like, it's like, he's Mm. setting you up for like the offensive content. But anyway, Mm -hmm. he said, I grew up around Jewish people and I learned about them that way. And I would have questions like, why do some of you dress like run DMC? Okay. Funny. Okay. Funny. That speaks (laughs) to me. But then as he went on, he sort of like did this thing where he was like, I'm just saying you've ever been to Hollywood. Like there's a lot of them out there. And it's like, okay, but the joke is, but seriously, I'm stoking these anti-Semitic feelings that people have and that are, have been magnified in a large way by Kanye West, who I'm allegedly taking down right now. Then he, he comes back to it at the end. It was ultimately gross from somebody who I guess doesn't get on stage unless he can what get under people's skin, because that's what people of a certain age think is the same thing as being good.
1: Well, these trans people got a break.
2: <laughs> hey, they're off the clock right now. Yeah. <laughs> they're like, they, they stay to sleep
1: yeah (laughs) uh he wasn't attacking them i mean but you know shout out to uh jewish trans people who obviously felt double attacked so (laughs) right
2: Uh, you're seen etc um okay yes moving on back to grammy nominations uh but like best r&b performance there's some things going on here you've got beyonce with virgo's groove this feels ooh, but she's up against jasmine sullivan never mind i thought it was going to be money in the bank but you never know
1: let me tell you something. I had taken a break from that lady's album. Uh, as you know. Oh, that lady, yes. uh, As she was tiring me out uh, while waiting for the visuals to arrive. But I listened to just Virgil's Groove yesterday because someone tweeted it out. Um, and I was like, yeah, this song is so fucking good. That song takes you away. Yeah. It's just, it's, it's it's really a phenomenal song. And I can't wait for years down the line to still be listening to it. Um so it's it's this is a reminder that yes, I fucking love Renaissance and I'm excited for um, Beyonce at the Grammys, but also I don't trust the Grammys. Correct. Yes, because they played her. They played in her face before.
2: No, right, and also this is just one of those years where again, Adele's in contention, and I'm looking at the Best Pop Vocal Album category where it's ABBA's Voyage, an album I'm happy exists, and that's where the compliments end. Uh, Adele's thirty. <laughs> Coldplay, Music of the Spheres, right, there around. Harry Styles, Harry's House. Mm, I wonder if that'll get it. Or Lizzo's Special, which th- I feel like there's too much on-the-nose messaging in Lizzo's album, but I feel like the Grammys would be attracted to that. As for Harry Styles, I guess the strength of that single, which is still lingering in the top 10, I, I am mm-hmm. blown away by how popular As It Was is. It is mm-hmm. not like a bad song, but it just makes you feel like, are there only four songs at the moment? Why are we still spinning that one?
1: He is still touring. Yeah, true. And selling out stadiums. Like, he is massive. Dua Lipa is also still touring, by the way, which is wild to me. Like, that album is still
2: carrying. Um, what the fu- what? faggots have not seen her in concert yet? Is she in, like, Chechnya? <laughs> I think she's in South America right now. Oh, uh, um, there you go. But I
1: will also say listen, I'm already one cold player but yeah. <laughs> this album wasn't for me oh really i just haven't really listened to it that much you know um i haven't been in the mood i haven't been in a cold play mood but maybe once um the winter hits you know and like i'm wandering around like cold new york city streets then i'll want to listen to some cold play
2: By the way, I put something together last week. I brought this up before how I'm really into Phoenix's new album, which has a song featuring like Ezra Koenig. Uh, But Shocks me every time time you mention it. I know, right. (laughs) They put out the album I wanted from Charlie Puth. Mm. That's what I could say about this album, if you haven't listened to it yet. I haven't listened to it. I'm going to listen to it. I I have to tell you, something's going to happen for you. You're going to be like, I did not know they had it in them. Okay. Um, Lizzo was
1: nominated as well for special, which is interesting because as much as I like that alpha, I feel like it sort of vanished. Yeah. Granted it right. did come out uh, even, right, like the week before Renaissance or so, but just like it sort of has left no dent besides, um, about that uh, besides about dead time, which you cannot
2: escape, which I uh, know it, it is really shocking uh, to me. I was surprised that was the first single because, the sound of it is, I wouldn't call it disco, but there's like a, a Nile rodgers kind of Daft Punk vibe mm. that almost felt like retro to me, like felt like maybe eight years out of date or 10 years out of date, even if it's a really good song. Meanwhile, all that song does is hold on. I can't, I, I'm going to go to Starbucks right now when it's on. I'm going to go to CVS right now when it's on. So good. I mean, I simply wouldn't have made that a and choice if I were her. And that's, I'm surprised it did that well. I do love the song.
1: No, it's a really good song. I mean, and I generally like the album. I just don't listen to it anymore. Right.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I think the album's only okay, and that song is great. Yes.
1: Yeah. Uh, I'm excited that um, my kings, the Arctic Monkeys,
2: are nominated for... Yeah, I imagine if they weren't. They're sort of Grammy mainstays, actually.
1: Yeah, they're also mainstays of um, people who it is difficult to get concert tickets for. Arctic monkeys, Paramore. The melee that's happening on social media right now, with like truly everyone and their mother trying to get a Taylor Swift ticket and also revealing themselves as Taylor Swift fans. I've actually loved this era of Taylor because folklore was one thing, we're all at home and people were just listening to it, whatever. But like people have come out in force as like, I gotta get a Taylor Swift ticket. And I'm like, I didn't even know you listened to her.
2: Right. Um I will say that I do think the concept of a quote-unquote eras tour is inherently funny because anybody putting on a tour is doing all of their old music. So to say, like, (laughs) this one's going to be about the different eras I've had. Right. You mean a concert?
1: (laughs) Well, an eras tour is antithetical to a Madonna concert.
2: Well, yes, unless she's doing like the reinvention tour or something. True. Right? Yes. I, I, I've I, always been into that about Madonna, that she for a long time was like, I'm not a jukebox of my old hits or whatever. And I think she also had a lot of disdain for her older songs for a long time, unless they were ballads. She's always been a fan of like Crazy For You. And she's always liked Holiday, for example, which is not a ballad. No, but like the Madam X tour was Madam X and then like a, a light smattering of other songs. And mm-hmm. my God, I wish it were a heavy smattering. And
1: I think it's also largely for the fact that um, I always, when I think about Madonna concerts, I for the 90s, I always think of, like, the Blonde Ambition tour, and then I sort of forget that she did the Girlie Show tour in 93, like, around Erotica, which sort of, like, had all that backlash, and then she, you know, that tour was 93, and then her next fucking tour was Drowned World in 2001, right. and... I can imagine being our age then. And the last fucking time you got to see Madonna was 93 or maybe you even missed it. And then the Drowned World Tour comes out and it's like, bitch, you're not going to play a single old song.
2: Right. No, she because then <laughs> that she basically was rude. only Yes. Because she basically <laughs> was only touring music, Ray of Light and then Bedtime Stories. There were a couple of those songs from that time, but you didn't get to hear whatever. Open Your Heart, for example.
1: I'm even looking at her set list for that, as she gives you like Act Four was called "Spanish Girl," "Ghetto Girl." Oh okay. my god!
2: Oh, I can just picture her writing that down proudly. That's you did get you did get La Isla Bonita in that section though. That yes. was like the one throwback. Yeah, you got
1: the Spanish version of what it feels like for a girl. Don't cry for me, Argentina, and Holiday. So. My favorite Spanish anthem. Yes, right. My favorite, my favorite ghetto girl song, you know? What, are, what, are, what, 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 do, what do the girls from so the ghetto like to do? Well, They like to go on the holiday. Oh, uh, my God. Man, I got to get out of this ghetto. I need a holiday. Huh? And then you just hear Madonna
2: singing holiday in the distance. This makes me think there should be a movie called Mrs. Harris Leaves the Ghetto. <laughs> get back, Leslie Manville. Get back, Isabel Huppert. It's a musical now. And wait, what is this here? Under best arrangement, instruments, and vocals, Christine McVee songbird, orchestral version. It has been ages since I have touted um, the Bible of Christine McVee, my favorite member of Fleetwood Mac. She uh, released a solo album for the first time in ages this year. I think she's coming up on on 80 years old uh, in 2023, too. I am so excited to see her having this moment. She's one of these people where you're constantly... Whenever she's brought up or you bring up her songs, you know, Say You Love Me or You Make Loving mm-hmm. Fun or Everywhere or whatever, the first word, phrase out of everybody's mouth is, oh, yeah, she's underrated. Oh, yeah, I forget about her sometimes. Meanwhile, she's like a front woman in one of the most popular bands of all time. It makes no sense. I'm not, I'm not saying this to denigrate Stevie, but I'm, I'm happy for her in this moment. You know what? I do prefer Stevie. But I
1: do love a Christine McVee song.
2: Please, "Little Lies" or uh, yeah, because she, cause um, she wrote "Little and Lies" back. and yeah, um, absolutely she everywhere. Wrote most of their top charting songs, yes. Mm-hmm. Don't stop, um, right? Yeah, mm-hmm.
1: she's she's an icon. So we love right. we love we. I have McViever.
2: Okay, <laughs> how have I not said that out loud? Really <laughs> upsetting that you would have to say that for me.
1: I was in my head before I said it. I was like, surely Lewis has said this before because
2: we've talked about McFever. Right. Right. (laughs) Which there is no cure and also just kill yourself.
1: Uh, Who knew that Taylor would end up being the rightful winner?
2: Taylor Hicks in this case. Yeah, Yeah, I don't like to think about that either. Season five is when it got a little stinky over on American Idol. Not that all the the contestants beforehand. Season four had some. Fucking losers, by the way, but we can get into that <laughs>
1: another time. by the way, speaking of season five, I don't know. I had to bring this up in our interview. Paris Bennett Love is her. from is from Rockford, where oh Natasha's from. Natasha
2: Leggero. Yes. Yeah. Paris Bennett, one of the great auditions of all time. Mm-hmm. And I think she got fifth place. She did, yes.
1: What one, one day, one day we're just gonna turn this into a American Idol rewatch podcast.
2: I think what what I would want is we would take we would get like the 10 finalists of the top 12, have them on our show in a Zoom format and give them one question each and go in reverse like 12th to first. I would love that. I think I that's like, like what we were born to do. Yeah, we've been
1: we've been threatening like going deep on American Idol for a long time. So I, th- I think I think we could get a good few good people.
2: I think we should call it the Old Diaguard, and it's, uh, that's my <laughs> reference to Cara Diaguardi, and that's what I call us in our spare time.
1: I call us the um, Simon Reverse Cowl Girl. <laughs> that's also our roller derby team, yes. Before we get to the big categories, I will say that best score soundtrack for visual media, uh, we have Encanto, No Time to Die, The Power of the Dog, the batman and succession season three and now you know i'm a bretel filter i love nicholas bretel uh (laughs) we're just coming up with all of the fan names this week uh i love nicholas bretel but let me tell you something michael Giacchino did things to me with that score for the batman like it's actually uh, the best part of the film
2: Yeah, right. No, I, I would say that the best thing part of that movie is the mood setting. You know, yeah. the, the grisly gray detective story sort of vibe.
1: As long as it is, I've like I put it on on a plane or I put it on again at home, and I think just the mood and the music of it, like the rhythm of that film, makes it easily rewatchable.
2: Yeah, I would say in that way, it's most comparable to Black. The original Black Panther, where mm. it's like musically something is going on in that movie that takes you on a singular journey that removes it from just being a superhero movie.
1: Yeah, there wasn't a lot of there wasn't a lot of memorable music in Wakanda Forever. Although I will say, shout out to them using a song from Snow the Product, who is a rapper that I love. She's fantastic, a Spanish rapper.
2: Oh, you didn't love the other Rihanna song? Yeah.
1: So, uh, album of the year, we've got. Aba, Adele, Bad Money, Beyonce, Mary J. Blige, Brandi Carlyle, Coldplay, Kendrick Lamar, Lizzo, Harry Styles.
2: And that's about everybody. Uh, I want to also say, Brandi Carlyle, I'm not saying she's not miraculously talented. She is one of these John Legend people or Allison Krauss people who I think just lives at the Grammys. And they're like, it would be awkward if we didn't give her nominations. She's like on the stage right now it's like she has airbnb squatters rights or something yeah on the
1: stage right now right next to her yes oh yeah <laughs> who's preparing also, to present and or win an award and she's not even nominated
2: also brandy Carla is one of these like i don't want to say nefarious people but it feels like she's always whispering in some legend's ear she's like here i am working with Joni mitchell here's bonnie wright here's whomever she has like she's like worst her way in with everybody again it's not that she's not talented i just think something she's a killer i'm just saying she's gonna kill all these people (laughs) she has easy access and she's gonna do it
1: watch out for the killer the killer's coming uh obviously i'm rooting for beyonce i don't know what kind of chicanery will be going on this year but if renaissance doesn't get it well i will be taking to the streets unless there are no visuals by the time the grammys roll around in which case, I'll say that's what you get.
2: Also, by the way, do people even really like that Adele album? It was. No. Fun. It was. Did uh, she was even fine, like it? Uh,
0: no. She didn't right. even tour off of to it. Put it out. No,
2: no. You know, she was like on the fence about it. That's what happened. I'm even on the fence about that song that's like 37 weeks at number one or whatever fucking happened with Easy on Me. Meanwhile, <laughs> everybody. It's a critical smash uh, uh, renaissance. So it would be. I have my hand in backslap formation, ready to attack the entire Grammy voting committee.
1: Uh all right, those are the Grammys. All right, when we're back, keep it. And we're back with our favorite segment of the episode. It's keep it. Lewis,
2: what do you keep it this week? We just have to get this out of the way. I'm going to waste an entire keep it on this. Let's just say keep it to everything occurring with Twitter. I'm going to go through a few of the highlights of the past couple weeks. Elon Musk agrees to buy Twitter for $44 billion. Walks into Twitter HQ with a bad joke. Immediately fires top Twitter execs. He then asked users for $20 for verification. Then asked users for an $8 verification badge. Then they laid off 3,700 employees, which the company is now being sued for. Which, of course, they would be sued for that. Insane move on his part. Several prominent celebs and comedians have their accounts suspended or banned, including Kathy Griffin. Twitter adds a secondary official verification badge in addition to the first. Gets rid of the second badge hours later. Musk calls a town hall meeting for employees, informing them that bankruptcy isn't out of the question for the platform. Amazing. And also ending remote work for all, because that's going to help. An internal report warns that the FTC could be investigating the company for billions of dollars in fines. Twitter Blue is suspended for all users. Twitter lays off 5,000 more employees, all because one man would love to be cool. He would love for you to be like, <laughs> he did it again with his spacely sprockets and his crazy, you know, fantabulous inventions, sending people to every witch planet. There's no reason this man should be in charge of this service which I am now in the unfortunate position of defending because there is something to me that I like about Twitter and continue to like about Twitter, which is there is such a cacophony of noise from news media, from people, from Mm -hmm. brands. And the thing about Twitter is it relegates everyone to turn-taking. Like, nobody is dominating your feed at any one time. You know, you're not stuck watching a video, really. You can move right on past it. And so to Mm -hmm. me, there's something ideal just about the way the information is presented, or at least it's pleasing to me. I'm not saying it's not full of horrible people or people saying horrible things, but the Internet is full of those things, too. And I'm not saying that Twitter has historically done a good job of dealing with things like uh, bigotry or abuse or threats of violence or whatever. Obviously, that's um, a concerning thing. But it just... Really actually does make me a little sad to think that Twitter could be, I don't know if it's going to disappear in the next two weeks. That feels a little doomsday to me, but I do have to say in the future, it will be funny trying to explain Twitter to people because it really was like you would watch the Emmys make a joke about Amy Sherman Palladino and hope Patton Oswalt liked it enough to share it. That was the point of Twitter. That's why we did it. <laughs> And by the way, that's how you know Elon Musk is not a real one. Comb his Twitter for jokes about Amy Sherman Paladino. You will find nil. You're absolutely right in the fact that Elon
1: Musk is desperately trying to be cool. He's desperately trying to be Twitter's main character every day. He thinks he's funny. He is absolutely yeah, not uh, funny. He is, frankly, a loser.
2: Yes, he he's, he is maybe the most famous loser alive. And I'm... I'm, I'm Donald Trump and him are fighting. But, I mean, it's that, like, literally loser thing.
1: Now, unfortunately, Donald Trump is actually funny.
2: That is true. He is a like, straight bitch,
1: which is a rare breed yeah, of funny yes. person. <laughs> yeah. yeah. He is. Bitch is the perfect definition. Like, when Donald Trump goes after you with a joke, you are going to laugh. And you're going to be like, oh, that, that was actually a good one. Elon Musk has never made me laugh. Do you remember his no. horrendous snl episode oh
2: uh, right oh uh, and he brought his mom up on stage which was such a cloying plea for like find me uh a uh, uh, likable find me relatable whatever it was so horrible
1: because maybe one of the only people who wants to be as cool as elon Musk wants to be cool is Warren michaels
2: Oh uh, right i have a friend at work who does an amazing impression of him that i would like to invoke right now but he's like you know Elon we we love I can't even do it I sound like I
1: I also sometimes forget um what Lord Michaels looks like and I think of Mayor Bloomberg I don't know why they are both the same person in my head
2: oh yeah well there's there's certainly like you've never seen them out of a suit that kind of vibe
1: yeah um he wants to be funny he wants to be cool He, he this is it's the way it's imploding is so funny to me because it just feels like oh, yeah. every day there's a new sort of like, like like the Bastille is being stormed here. This yeah, is totally. This is this is a different chaos every day. There were more people fired this morning while we recorded because um uh, he didn't like the way that they were talking about him in Slack, and people were like oh, Twitter Lord. has always sort of been like a place where you could criticize your boss or things, and like no more. I mean the mean things that we used to say about Jota Peretti and Slack to his face during um, town hall meetings. We didn't get fired for those, but Elon Musk <laughs> also, has no thick want, skin.
2: What I would say about Elon Musk is he he wants to be Groucho Marx, and instead he's Margaret Dumont. He's the constantly getting duped person in the comedy equation. I'm sure that comp- I'm sure that comparison has been made a hundred times. <laughs>
1: You know who loves responding to Elon Musk jokes and telling him he sucks?
2: Tommy Vitor. Oh yeah. Well, you know those libs. I mean they've got time on their hands. <laughs> they can't get anything going. You know? Ira, what is your keep it this week?
1: My keep it once again goes to um Ticketmaster. Oh. Master is apt, okay? Because <laughs> I am on the I am on the plantation getting whipped (laughs) as I am trying to get tickets to anybody. This isn't even just about this week where apparently like um, everyone is like in the trenches fighting for their lives to get Taylor Swift tickets. Earlier this week, I tried to get Paramore tickets. The amount of money I had to pay for Paramore tickets was obscene because of the fees added with Ticketmaster and also... I have my verified fan. I got, I got a verified fan um, for Paramore. And verified fan, by the way, is one of your favorite artists is going on tour. And with Ticketmaster, to ensure that no bots or whatever get the tickets, you have to sign up for verified fan. And then you get verified or you get waitlisted. And if you're verified, you get to participate in a pre-sale.
2: Oh, okay. So you're moved to one slightly better box.
1: Yes. Ticketmaster deciding whether or not I'm a real Paramore fan is bullshit. Yeah, that is upsetting. I
2: mean, you put in the work. Yes. Yeah. You put in the misery (laughs)
1: business. Yes. Thank you. Okay. And you know what? Ain't it fun? (laughs) It's not.
2: (laughs) This is an age old keep it. I feel like as long as I've been conscious of getting live tickets, Ticketmaster has just been the absolutely vexing labyrinthine red tape laden thing at the center of this universe maybe we need to go back to people having to line up at the box office to get tickets
1: i don't know there's also eight billion yeah. people in the world now and all of them want a taylor swift ticket so maybe and the, and taylor maybe,
2: swift's version of the apocalypse we're all just in line for her
1: so there you go yeah maybe we do need to be killing off a bunch of people you know bring back eugenics but for white yeah. people shirley jackson's the lottery we see you And this is just a harbinger, you know, of Beyonce, uh, potentially Rihanna, potentially Janet. Like anybody you're interested in who's going on tour next year, you're going to be going through the same hell. And Ticketmaster has also introduced dynamic pricing, which is... That sounds deeply apocalyptic. The prices are higher depending on how many people are logged on and want them. Insane.
2: Sick. Oh, that is... Gross! I'm actually I'm swallowing my anger right now.
1: So Biden has already said that he his administration is going after places like Ticketmaster for their hidden fees. But let's let's work a little faster, Joe. Yeah, okay, right. you you stayed off the red wave. Really
2: whole thing. Yeah, yeah he's he stayed
1: <laughs> off the red wave, and now you know it's time to take down Ticketmaster.
2: I, I would love to see it, and then I would also love to see him at a Paramore concert. Honestly, I think Biden would
1: have fun at a Paramore concert.
2: No, I don't. Not see it. Um,
1: His favorite song would probably be "Playing God." Sure. Yeah, you've you've never heard of this
2: song. I sure haven't. Nope, <laughs> nope. I can't do the rock music, as you know. Like I can when when people are like, "Oh, I still love." Um, this isn't really rock music. Uh, Panic at the Disco. All these years later, I'm like, I could not be more thrilled to be rid of that era.
1: Well. When we eventually scam Haley Williams, it's a Kobe Crawford keep it. You're gonna to have to listen to it.
2: All right, all right. No, she seems great. Of course, I would love to talk to her. Anyway, yeah. that's keep it.
1: Thank you to Natasha Lagero for being here, and uh, we'll see you next week.
4: <laughs>
1: keep it is a crooked media production. Our senior producer is Kendra James, our producer is Chris Lord, and our associate producer is Malcolm Whitfield. Our executive producers are Ira Madison III, that's me, and Lewis Vertel. This episode was recorded and mixed by Evan Sutton. Thank you to our digital team, Matt DeGroot, Nar Malconian, and Delon Villanueva for production support every week. And as always, keep it as filmed in front of a live studio audience.